Hi everybody, uh, welcome to another episode of the FM Channel podcast. Uh, my name is Claudio Rojas, I'm one of the co-owners and senior recruiters at Alex Young Recruitment. Um, today I'm joined by Todd Harrison, who is the, uh, the CEO for Flowrite Services. Welcome to the show, Todd. Thank you, thanks no for having worries. me. No worries, thank you. Um, so just as a, as a reminder uh, to anybody that hasn't tuned in before, basically doing this podcast in order to interview different FM professionals from the industry, different levels, from different backgrounds, just in order to hear their story of how they got into FM, what they like about the industry, maybe what they don't like, uh, and hopefully with a bit of inspiring other people within the industry. Um, so, so yeah, so we'll, we'll crack on. Todd, so could you just, um, I guess, introduce yourself a little bit to what you do and who you do it for currently? Sure. Yeah, I like the word FM professional, so it's nice to hear. So thank you for that. That's uh, all right. I've, I've been called a lot worse. Uh, now, my background, I'm currently the CEO of Flowrite. Uh, I'm just about to exit to be in. November the 3rd is my last day after uh, a successful, we, we sold the business successfully in December. And I've uh, done a structured handover, so I'll be leaving. Uh, and I'm also the non-executive non chairman for Newton's Group Limited which is a small startup FM company, as well as doing modular housing. So we do a lot of uh, modular build and for social housing. So my time is split and uh, I'm, you know, looking to support other companies and, and ventures out in, in the FM world, really. Great stuff. Great stuff. So let's go back to the beginning. How did you get in? What is your background? Where did you, how did you get into the, into the industry? FM. I think like most of us, by, by mistake, I think. Uh, yeah, traditional story, you know, left school with, with, with no exams and, and the stuff. And uh, interesting, my whole family are in newspapers. So my whole family were all working for the Daily Mirror and the News of the World. And uh, I had an option to go in to work for the Daily Mirror at the time or do something else. And I chose to do something else, which was quite lucky the way the, the newspaper industry uh, went at the time. So Absolutely, yeah. I, yeah, it had it, it, it gone within about a year after the option. So I uh, joined the London Electricity Board uh, mm -hmm. to do an electrical apprenticeship. So I did four-year electrical apprenticeship uh, and I always tell a story. Then, then we come out the London Electricity Board and as it was in those days, you, you left to do your own thing after your apprenticeship. So I went and worked over Canary Wolf, self-employed, doing what they would call projects and installation work. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember it was Christmas Eve. I was on the roof connecting electrical extract fans, and uh, it was. I remember being a young, I was pretty young, about 21, 22, and I looked across the, the roof, and there was an old guy there who was 50. He's not so old now, he's the same age as me, would be. But <laughs> I looked at him, and he was shaking. He was yeah. physically shaking on the roof. Uh, yeah. I said to him, Look, go downstairs, get warm. And I went home that day and said to my wife, I, I can't do electrical install i need to get into what's called a warmer environment yeah uh, and then ended up i want to get indoors and work in warmer so i ended up becoming a maintenance electrician for johnson controls at the time mm -hmm. uh, by the february i was into that and then i just worked my way through through various options I, I was lucky enough to i did 10 years at johnson controls which is obviously now cbre uh from the time and I worked my way up from uh, the maintenance electrician all the way up to running what they called their Six Sigma uh, black belts, Lean Six Sigma and process improvements uh, and went from there really. And then, and then the one thing, and I think this is really important about the, my view of the podcast is, is I got a mentor. So I had someone in the industry at the time, a guy called Ulf Muller runs my FM. Mm -hmm. uh, so fantastic guy it went to me once uh, said Todd he called me an idiot he said Todd you're an idiot in a big German accent and 
I said why. He said, look, you're obviously got a little bit about you, a little bit more, you're a bit more intelligent. You've got, there's some stuff that you can do. And he took me off to college, wrote me a letter, and he sponsored me and mentored me to do a degree in FM. Wow. Uh, with, with, yeah, fantastic. You, you know, and that's why I'm so passionate about mentoring and supporting the FM industry. We'll, we'll probably come on to that. So yeah. really key. Uh, so he mentored and coached me. Uh, I went on to then do my master's. Uh, yeah, I went on to do my master's and then went into various jobs, become the MD of Optimum. Uh, mm-hmm. We've got tremendous success there. We grew that from 11 to 35 million under my sort of uh, tenure. Uh, and I often got into venture capitalist world. So I, I tend to support uh, private equity and, and VCs looking at businesses to, to go in and uh, structure, to, to bring growth to, and then obviously look to... Uh, sell them back out to the open market which is what we just did with Flowrite. Flowrite was a, uh, an air conditioning refrigeration business for supporting FMs uh, and, and retail hospitality and, and you know as I said we sold that in in December so uh, so that's really my background but it, me getting into FM was I wanted to be warm <laughs> it's quite simple I wanted to be indoors and uh, but the real turning point was when Ulf and, and, and the guys and, uh, you know, they, I started to get a mentor who showed me a mm. bit of support, showed me a bit of value and uh, allowed me to have the confidence to, to work through the FM world, really. So, yeah, probably yeah, the same no. as many people. You, you come into it with nothing. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what's interesting about the, the industry. I've, I've interviewed so many people since being in recruitment. And then since doing this podcast, I've spoken to people who started out uh, on the tools, they might start yeah. out in post room or as an administrator, but they've all applied themselves, realised that actually this industry, I can I can make my own way and carve my own career out here if I just kind of yes. put it in. Yeah. And, but, uh, but I think, yeah, having a mentor is, uh, not many have, have said they've had a, a mentor, and I think that that is, is, is really important if you can get that. No, look, um, we give it back to, to, to all the businesses I've been involved in, and, and, you know, people say the same, we've always ensured that there is a structured mentoring and coaching program within them it doesn't it's not just about management it will be taking engineers through the system it will be taking contract administrators through the system and we, we tend to get fixated on uh i think technical secession you know mm-hmm. I, I think there's two routes in fm one's a technical secession and one's a managerial secession and we should we should be quite uh, uh we should be very supportive that these guys can go technical or or, or managerial so yeah, you, you've got to give back. I know it's a cliche, but every business you have, it's all about the people we know. That is, we're all doing the same thing. Mm. All us guys, we're all doing the same stuff. It's just how we educate, support, and coach our people. And then I think, and how you then add technology into your service delivery now. Yeah. The, the, the FM world has to start to innovate. It has to start to change. Uh, you know, we're all fighting. We're all fighting the same contracts. We're all fighting the same margins. There's no value in it anymore. You've only got to look at the demise of some of the bigger names. So, mm. uh, I, I think we have to educate people more, and I think we have to utilise technology more to deliver a service. It's the only way we're going to protect uh, a the industry and b your own personal business and its mm-hmm. margins. Yeah. yeah, well, I was going to talk to you about technology. Actually, that was a topic that I've kind of um, I've come across quite a bit over the last few months since kind of a, yeah. the lockdown. I've been a bit more active on LinkedIn and reading articles and speaking to yeah. people about technology within the property world. Um, and I, I think the general consensus or one general message that I'm getting is that it's technology is moving in, is there, it's available, and but the FM industry probably isn't moving quick enough with the technology or maybe not embracing it quick enough. What, what's your take on that? 
like I think it's fine. I've always been at this technology. Technology is a big word, and, and it's a yeah. sexy word, and like added value in tenders and all of that stuff. They're all great words, but the technology that we talk about has fundamentally been available for many years. You know, mm. it was developed in the in the military seventy years ago. Uh, sorry, in the 1970s and, and, and stuff like that. So the technology we're trying to utilise in FM is, to me, is not new technology. I think the bigger challenge of technology, uh, I think there's two things. I think if we don't introduce technology and make our service delivery more efficient, uh, it'd be the race to the bottom of the margins. And, and none of us will survive that game. And yeah. uh, we'll, we'll all, you know, the industry has a strange reputation anyway, doesn't it, in various quarters. But if it... You know, if we don't improve our service delivery and, and utilize technology, it would get even worse. So mm -hmm. I think that's one. I think we have to use it to become more efficient and to, and to be sustainable. Two, I think that the reason technology is not utilized in the FM, and, and this is very much a Todd's view, uh, is that the culture and behavior of the FM world doesn't embrace it. Mm -hmm. Now, I think there's two reasons. I, you know, I'm still looking at the same tenders being sent out that are SFG20 with the same specification, you know, a lot of these consultants are changing the name at the top and sending the same specifications out. So yeah. I'm still looking at specifications that are 20 years old, uh, you know, and we're all pricing them the same. And uh, I don't think that the industry from a, from a diversity point of view, an education point of view, inviting people from outside of the FM world into the FM world because they see it with different eyes and, and different views, <laughs> will embrace technology in, in the way that it should do. And, and I think unless... And, and, and we change the mix of people running FM. We change the, the diversity is a wider word. You know, it's, it's run by the same people fundamentally who have moved from uh, one provider to another. They all do two or three years. You know, they all move from two or three years. and then yeah. they're like, oh, That's what you do for a living, to be fair. You place them. So yeah. you, you need that churn. This is what you need. <laughs> what you need. But, you know, I, and, I, and I think that there has to be a fundamental shift. The technology, I think, is there. I think it's been there for a while. And we can deliver services in many different ways. But I think it's the culture and behavior that has to change and adapt. And that's harder to change in this industry. It's hard to change in any industry. But I think as technology becomes more available for generations that sit below me, you know, my mm -hmm. children, you know, they embrace technology. It's to them, it's, you know, this is what we do for a living. You know, look at us all. We're all on Zoom now. We're all on Teams. We certainly weren't on that before COVID. No. So, you know, technology has been forced on us, and, and I think that change will now be permanent because it's been embedded over the how long we've been in bloody lockdown six, seven months. So, mm -hmm. uh, the FM world has to change its culture and behavior. And for that to happen, it has to change its thought processes. It goes right back to the procurement of tender processes, it goes right back to the consultants who are specifying services. Then you need a bit of longevity in people's jobs because to introduce technology into some of these services, it takes a little bit of an investment up front. You're going to get mm -hmm. your payback in years, probably two and three of a contract now. Mm -hmm. Some service providers are, uh, are risk averse and, and won't invest in the, in, in the front end because, you know, the industry is constantly churning and changing. Yeah. So, yeah. Long-winded way of saying, I think we have to change behavior before yeah. we talk about the technology itself. Right. Okay. That's interesting. And like you say, it's, it's kind of maybe the larger organizations have got the cash to maybe do it, but maybe it's harder to do within a bigger organization because it's people don't like change. And no, when you're trying to change a large company or the ethos or how it, how it operates, does, does that mean that you think that the change will come from the, the small, the rise of the smaller companies like the SMEs and stuff? 
Yeah, I, I think it does because I think uh, you know, kind of, they're more agile, they're more flexible, yeah. they're more entrepreneurial. Uh, I, I think the one thing that COVID has, will do, uh, unfortunately, is there'll be a lot of companies that will will struggle in the next sort of year. Uh, but I think on the, the good side of that, if there is a good side of, of this scenario, is that it will create some opportunities for the more agile, dynamic type industries. Uh, mm. I think technology leads with that. Uh, and, and I think another thing that's driving how it's going to change is the, the, the skill sets within the industry. And if we talk pure engineer, I'm, hard, I'm a hard FM. I think that's the right term, hard FM, you know, mechanical yeah. and electrically led. There is undoubtedly a skill shortage. There's no two ways about it. And uh, we struggle to get good engineers. But what I've really noticed is, is project management and contract management is getting harder and harder to find. Mm. You know, there tends to be a churn of engineers. You could tend to find some churn of engineers, is my view. Yeah. But when you get management and project management, they're really difficult to find. Uh, you know, and, and so I think it will come from the smaller companies. I, I think they're, they're not afraid to take a chance. They're not, I don't want to. I don't want to get involved with the big boys who are, who are bidding these multiple multiple site jobs and all over the things. I don't. I, I want a half a million pound in the middle of London. You know, mm. I can get to know the end user. I could get to know my client. Uh, I can understand what his true needs are. I'm not dictated by a massive procurement program, and you know, I can go to him directly and uh, you know talk about change. If you're talking about. Uh, doing a job for Lloyds Bank or, you know, when it's got three, 400 branches, I think mm. it's bloody hard to talk about technology and how you implement it, it because it's so vast. And I think yeah. it gets, I think the management of that account, uh, you know, you take ISS or something like that, they're so disparate with their management structure and everyone's got their own P&Ls in their own little bundles. You know, technology is never going to be embedded because it will never be championed by one of those individuals because they're, you know, they're all driven by their P&L. Yeah, somebody yeah. somebody's got to stand up and take a risk to say you know what PL is important but you know we, i'm talking about long-term sustainable PL and long-term profitability for that to happen i'm going to invest in some technology over the next couple of years and the smaller agile companies can do that you know yeah. we can do that. we're investing in technology now you know yeah. uh, we're investing in technology we're looking at different ways of doing stuff we're looking at ways of delivering services uh because you know we won't compete with ISS. I'd use. I'm not picking on ISS. Whoever watches this podcast, but yeah, yeah. it's just the it's just the name. One of the larger out players out there. Oh, you've gone. Hello. Hang on a minute. There we go. I've just uh, unpaused it, but uh, yeah, you disappeared for a moment there. No, you were just you you just about to say that you were you weren't picking on ISS. Just the no, no, just the, uh, the the bigger sized organisations out there, and uh, I think they have different challenges. They they have different margin pressures. They have different revenue challenges. Where yeah, the smaller yeah. agile players can be a bit more dynamic and a bit more supportive of technology. Cool. I always go back to the customer. I always remember I did a lot of data center stuff. So my specialist businesses was always in critical environments and data centers mm -hmm. uh, i won't go to we we were working for a supplier who had a tier four data center so had all the resilience engineering wise built into the data center and we bid the job and we ended up i think with about 36 engineers and i said to him why, why have you got any engineers in here the resilience is built in the infrastructure the technology is here to monitor this plant 24 7 yeah why don't you why don't you have four or five engineers and his view, and, and I was saying, look, I can protect my margin. You know, I'm, I'm going to charge you more for them. I'm going to still protect my margin. You know, I won't have the same revenue, but I'll have a higher margin. 
uh, he was like, no, I want 36 guys here because it's, you know, I feel safer. I was like, <laughs> you know, in some environments, engineers uh, introduce risk to the environment itself. And, mm. and that was driven by a customer. So it goes back to, you know, you've got to be careful where you introduce technology. It has to be the right sure. customer fit as well as the right supplier fit. Yeah. So you mentioned that you guys are introducing uh, some technology within your business. What kind of technology are you introducing? Can you say, I mean, what, what's out there? Because there might be people yeah. listening thinking, well, what, what's out there? What are we kind of, yeah, no, where no, are we losing no, the trick kind of thing? Again, we're, we're not we're not Apple, you know, we're not Google, we're not reinventing, you know, we're not Tesla and reinventing the wheels. We're just using some basic technologies out there to look at services. So, so we're looking at our buildings that we have and we're going, how can we deliver the service in a different way? So can we use vibration analysis? Can we use uh, oil sampling? Can we use different uh, water treatment type options? And we're just saying to the customer, instead of going to the asset four times a year, We'll only go twice a year, but we'll be monitoring it every single month or every single day of its, its life cycle. Mm. Uh, we have sitting behind that, we have a compliance software. So it, it, and, and what, it pushes the information out. So, you know, so the information goes into the, to, to the portal. If there's any challenge with it, it will, push the, it will push the information out to the end user. So we're using a combination of monitoring techniques, but I think it's what's different is we're then directly pushing that information out to the customer. So we're not filtering it before to protect ourselves from this. We're saying to our customers, we're going to be very open with what we send you. These are the alerts of when we receive them at the same time. Uh, you know, we're monitoring the temperatures, we're monitoring the energy profiles. As I say, I, I think when we talk about technology in FM, I think people try and make it too sexy. Yeah. You know, we just fix stuff. We just fix stuff. And sometimes we get fixated and we, we tend to, we trend to try and big it up. We just fix buildings and we fix electrical and mechanical stuff. So we're utilizing a lot of what I would call, uh, and it's, to me, this is important, a lot of proven technology. We're just molding it with our maintenance structures. We're just, you know, we're changing the maintenance philosophies. We're not going four times a year. We're going mm -hmm. twice. And sometimes instead of going four times a year, we're going every single month because it's a risk-based piece of equipment. And then when the feeds come into our platform, which we, we own, like, you know, at Newton's Group, we own that platform. We've, we've decided to go out and design a bespoke our own platform. Awesome. There's, lot, there's lots out there, but you know what? I want to make it customer-centric and I want to make it right. Is that information that gets pushed out to so the customer sees it at the same time as us. He understands that issue. So do you know what? What does that, if you allow the customer to see it at the same time as you, it creates a massive amount of trust and visibility then you're starting to embed technology because it's trusted and it's visible. Amazing. If you just have technology in the back uh, yeah. and you filter that, you filter the technology to the end user, well, he doesn't really trust it after a while because he thinks you're turning the dials up and down. So that yeah. goes back to the culture and behavior a little bit. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of, I, I guess kind of changing the client's mindset a little bit, just a bit at a time, really, instead of saying, we've got this amazing bit of tech, we're going to use this. And it's like, well, hang on a minute. What, what does it do? It's a case of just, we, like you say, instead of like a visit every month, we're going to do it twice a year or four times a year. It's going to be Don't frighten the little, customer. Little, little tweaks, little tweaks here yeah, and look, there. And I think that's important because, you know, we talk about technology and people suddenly say we talk about software and we talk about IPs and interfaces. I think you can really turn some people off because yeah. we're in an FM industry. We're not in a software industry. We're not in a technology-based industry. So it goes back to what I said, it's the language and the application of the technology that is going to drive it through. Interestingly, on the one I'm talking about, we reduced the customer's cost, but we increased our own margin. I'm very upfront with the customer. We said, look, we're going to reduce your cost base because the philosophy is different. 
Yeah. Uh, and we're going to increase our margin. You know, we want some of that saving as well. You know, we're, we're a partnership and they were, they were very keen on that. And, you know, that goes back to having the right customer. Yeah. Yeah. So no, exciting stuff, but, but I'm very clear on technology. It's, uh, it's the utilization and embedding of the technology rather than, uh, I'll go back. We're not Tesla. Let's not pretend we are. Let's yeah. not make it so sexy. It, it, let's make, let's yeah. not make it so sexy that people don't want to see it. Yeah, I think you're right. You can kind of get caught up in it and maybe start to scare people off with the yeah. word te technology. Because like you say, technology is this word that everything's oh, fantastic. But then you start thinking Tesla, cars driving by themselves, things yeah. doing exactly. things by themselves. We're not ready for talking that. about AI. It's like, hang on a minute. Yeah, no, what's, are we going to get rid of all the engineers? Who's going yeah. to be doing this? It's, I think there's like preconceptions, you know. Well, and, and I think the FM, you know, all of us as well. We're all, you know, let's be realistic. In, in, in this environment, we're all, we're all frightened of change, you, you know. And you are threatening, you know. Everyone talks about technology and how it changes people's worlds, but it can reduce people's employment and it can reduce people's mm. job numbers. Uh, and I think this, it's another barrier to it. And you know, are you going to implement something that means? Instead of having 10 security guards, you may only have four. Instead of 36 engineers, what I talked about, you might have 10 highly skilled engineers who are really yeah. highly skilled rather than that. You know, and when you start talking about that stuff, I, I don't think the industry is ready for that. And that's to me, is about using technology in the right way mm -hmm. for the right application. And let's not talk about it in terms of space rockets because it's not. Yeah, you know, yeah. And I've always been saying, you know, simplify it and make it. Tell the customer what he, you know, tell the customer, give the customer what he needs to make his business more functional, and so he can focus on his core business and not worry about all the stuff that's going on around the edges. That's what we're here for. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Similar to the modular housing, you know, we're you know, we're building the modular houses. You know, we build the we build the physical box in the factory. Mm -hmm. We do all the mechanical and electrical services in the factories. The other trades come in and put the tires in and we lift them up and then we take them out to site and, and we plug them together on a building site. So we are building the houses within the factory. We've introduced uh, some technology there. That's more about time management, more about efficiencies. And yeah. but we've modulized, you know, it's, it's, technology can come in different ways. Instead of the guys wiring fuse boards up, we wire the fuse boards up in, a, in another factory and they get sent to us and they screw it on the wall and they just plug a cable underneath it now. Nobody's opening the fuse board or wiring it up anymore. They're all pre-wired. Yeah. And when the cable's coming, we're just plugging them in the top. You know, we're saving six hours per fuse board. Yeah. You know, and then you're talking efficiencies and the modules. So the applications for technology can be the design of a product rather than software. The can, yeah. Technology can be utilized on design of products as well as software, which I think we miss a little bit, to be fair. Yeah, we tend yeah. to talk about, FM talks about technology as a monitoring as a monitoring type tool, proactive monitoring, it doesn't talk about the design of the product. Because if you design the risk out of the product, or do you really need to monitor it? So mm -hmm. where do you put the technology in the design type stuff? So I think sometimes yeah. we're always we're always on the other side. And if we can influence design and we can influence architects, and I'm, I'm being very utopia-ish here, yeah. but if we can start to influence, you know, the architects, the designers, and we can get the FM world and the mechanical and it can get more involved in that world. Well, you can build all this into the infrastructure already, and then it becomes very powerful going forward. Absolutely, uh, it's, been talk, it's been talk, talked about for years, isn't it? We just don't yeah. do it. Yeah, it's true. That is true. Can I just ask you a quick question about? Because I think we we touched on it before. Changing the subject slightly, you mentioned about there's always a churn uh, within kind of the um, finding maintenance engineers, guys, you yeah. know, guys on guys on the ground. 
I mean, ever since I've been doing recruitment, I put a post out there today about there's a skill shortage and, you know, there's a big gap in the market. And it's been talked about so much and everyone sort of says, yeah, there is, there is. But what, in your opinion, can that gap ever be sort of got rid of or closed down? Because it does seem like a lot of service providers offer apprenticeship schemes, which is fantastic. Yeah. But it, but yeah. it always seems like there's always a gap. There's always a lack of good, for example, mechanical engineers. Yes. When we recruit the mechanical guys, um, the better guys are all kind of in their late 40s to sort yeah. of 70. Do you know what I mean? They're, they're, and then... No, look, I, it's, it's, so what, what, what's your take on that, on the kind of the skills? No, I think it's really interesting. And, and as you say, it's not a new problem. We're, we're all yeah. still talking about it in the same sense. Uh, I think there's a couple of things. I think when you... I think there's two things for, from a business perspective. It's the engagement to, to, to stop the churn once you've got them. And then I'll go into how I think we need to educate the industry. Uh, is the engagement piece. Now, we'll talk about when we, you know, my previous business of just exiting was, was Flowrite. We, we have 100 mobile engineers and they're all over the UK. So it's, it's a national business. Uh, what we had when we joined was 100 engineers who were loyal to their van or they were loyal to their static contract or they were loyal to the building they were working in. The engagement piece of are they loyal to the, to the, uh, to flow right or to Johnson Controls or CBRE or, or, or to, to Optima, you know, who are they loyal to their company or are they loyal to the environment they work in? I think when they are comfortable in just purely the environment they work in, so their van or the static site, you're always going to get churned because they go yeah. down the road for 50p a pound more. So what I don't think we all, we don't do as well is the engagement piece with that engineer. And it can be on a static site. So we introduce stuff at flow right. We do family days, with your family days. We went for a drink every quarter. We introduced mentoring, coaching, ILM stuff. And we did a big piece about how we engage with, with those engineers. And actually, uh, when we, because we engage with engineers and we do a lot of work with them, which was different. And I think a lot of FM providers miss that bit. They employ a guy and they stick him down a static site. Mm. Do you know what? The area manager turns out once a week and he's left. Does he work for the company I've employed him or is he working for the building he's in or is he in his van? So I think the, the employer engagement bit in engineering uh, is a lot of work to be done. Yeah. I think there's a lot of quick, I also do think there's a lot of quick wins if you, if you do. And that's where HR can come in. I had a fantastic HR lady working for me. He's been with me nine on 10 years. And she understands the value of engaging with the, the engineers. And do you know what? There is a commercial element to it. Every time I don't have to pay you a, a fee, I'm, I'm saving, you know, X amount of money. Your fees are dearer than most. That's obviously not. I'd have said that to any of you lot. But everyone would have known me by now. That, I would have said that. But, you know, look, there's a commercial element to that engagement piece. So I, to me, it was always an investment in the business. Give them the best vans. Give them the best site tools. Give them the best uniforms. Make sure you're taking them out every, every quarter for a drink, your basic stuff. Make sure that you appreciate their families to do a family day every year. Make sure you're buying Christmas hampers and you've got mentoring. So I think that's how you stop the churn. The wider point of attracting people in the industry is a, probably a bigger challenge. Yeah. Uh, and I think it comes way back at education stages. You know, I listened to a few of your other podcasts and nobody left school wanting to be a and in facilities management really not what i can see you know most of us sort of stumbled in a, in, a, in yeah. a strange world but it can provide a fantastic career yeah it can provide a, a real long steady career because you know there's always going to be a need for it the pay structure within the industry is, is, is 
pretty damn good for a lot of uneducated, you know, for people like me who come out of school with no education. It, and it gives you a pathway to educate yourself and, and, and then do okay. So it's quite attractive for, uh, I would say, a lot of people. Which, you know, we don't do anything in schools and universities. Mm-hmm. I know there's lots of uh, different organisations that represent the FM world. Uh, you know, are, and I'm not saying this in any negative, are they strong enough? Are they advertising? Are they marketing in the right areas to attract the new generation into to mm. FM? Uh, I think that's key. So I, I think there needs to be a whole education marketing piece where we educate school leavers, university yeah. leavers, and graduates, and and start to introduce that and, and, and to really show a career career highlight. Uh, I think the apprentices that we get. Uh, now, I, I, you know, we, uh, when we did this, when I was the MD of Optimum, we, we started taking a lot of apprentices in. And I said, look, we're not going to give them a normal apprenticeship. They're going to come in and get a far better apprenticeship than they would elsewhere. Mm. So we're going to educate them more. We're going to give them more modules. They're going to be more experienced to the business. So, so we wanted to create a really well-rounded apprentice rather than get someone in for a couple of years and then send them out the other end. Uh, but we struggled at times to get apprentices. You know, we struggled at times to attract apprentices and it doesn't seem, you know, everyone wants to be a YouTuber or an influencer. My girls tell me they want to be an influencer. Yeah. Uh, you know, you know, so I think there's a real big education piece. I also think that us people who have been in the industry a while have a real obligation to mentor and coach. So when you get the good ones in your business, you've got to give them a pathway and a career structure. You know, yeah. you can't be this short-term thing. Do you know what? We only have this contract for three years. I'm not investing in it. You as an individual has to stop out, step out of that and go, do you know what? Yes, we may only have the contract for three years because the cycle is what it is in our world sometimes. Mm. But I'm going to invest in that engineer or that individual, that contract support, you know, that finance lady, you know, the, the, you know, the technical guys. And I'm going to give them some support and I'm going to provide mm. a network because they'll always remember I did that. Yeah. And then you create people passing it on. And, and I think... Mm. Us older individuals who have been in the industry quite a few years have a real obligation to pick up the the younger generation that's coming in and really start to educate and support them. If we don't do that, we'll lose them anyway. We mm. just they'll all slide away and go into different careers. And you know, why can't you when you walk into FM say, right, are you technically minded or are you managerial minded? And we should we should at that point with the good ones say right if you if you are technically minded here's your career path can take you all the way to a chartered engineer if that's yeah. if that's where you want to go but if you're managerial wise here's the route that you will go through supervision contract management area management account management you know and if you're good enough you can go for an MD and a CEO those frameworks there's some out there you know that Biffum have frameworks and stuff but they've got to be embedded in the industry people mm-hmm. go off and do go and do some education, but it's not practically supported through the businesses. And so long-winded way of saying, I think individually people have got to step up. Yeah. Can't keep blaming yeah. the industry as a whole. Can't keep blaming the industry as a whole. You know, mm. I had a mentor who picked me up and supported me. You know, that's got nothing to do with the industry. That was someone within the industry who took an interest. Mm. So I think as individually, we've all got to collectively, you know, as individuals, we've got to go, do you know what? We've got some good people here, let's support them. Let's give them the benefit of it because they will naturally grow within the industry anyway. And you will solve some of the problems that we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. No, agree. No, I think it's, yeah, I, I massively agree with, with what you're saying. And a lot of the, uh, there's every time if I've met somebody who has had a mentor or who did a, an old school apprenticeship, they always bring it up. They always say it. 
I learned Plus. from an amazing lead engineer back in the day when lead engineers yes. were, yeah. uh, were I, I did one day a week college four year apprenticeship but the engineer that yeah. I had he was brilliant he did this he did that or on the flip side it's been FM someone's been taking me under the wing they always mention it and that person will then hopefully go on to awesome. um, you, you would expect to, them to, to pass it on I guess because that's what keeps the industry going I guess but yeah it's very very interesting yeah. that, you, that you said that and it's also and the dynamic of, you know and when we went the dynamic of the industry has to change what we have is a lot of engineers who pick up the phone mm. so if there's an issue generate they pick up the they pick up a phone to a generator company if there's an issue with UPS they pick up the phone to a UPS company if there's yeah. a if there's an issue with fire alarms they pick up the fire alarm contractor so in my time some of the engineers in some of these environments are just becoming very well paid secretaries in something I've got an issue with my fire alarms you know what I'm gonna phone fire alarm company I've got an issue with my water trip I'm gonna phone so we should be educating those individuals mm. so they can do the first line response then they get a bit more engaged in the building then they get a bit more engaged in the industry you know I know what I was like as an engineer I'm not I certainly I went in the managerial route because I wasn't a very good engineer I've always been quite honest about it but <laughs> Fair you know what I you know in our days we try to fix stuff and I know that's a bit of a cliche now I, you know with the businesses I've run that you know nine times out of ten these guys say we've got a problem they pick the phone up uh, the, the, the products have changed. It's all replaceable. It's not working. We replace it. It's not, you know, it would drive me mad as an individual. So I think there needs to be more education. So these guys and, and ladies can actually fix stuff and actually mm. get involved with it rather than phone up, Johnny, put a new one in, phone up, put a new one in. What, you know, what is the value in that? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Todd, listen, it's been, a real, real pleasure speaking to you. We'll leave it there. Thank you. Uh, really appreciate your time, listen, and um, and yours. Well, hopefully we'll, we'll catch up again soon. And uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's been yeah, it's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you, thank you, thanks for, the for your time as well. Take Brilliant. care. Have a good one. Thank Cheers. you. Bye bye. bye, -bye.